Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Talk Right, interviews with CWW at UNO. My name is Lee Sehan, your humble host. Uh, this week's guest is uh, Kirsten Renault. She's um, a nonfiction writer um, at the CWW. Um, she's originally from West Virginia, um, and she was nominated for a Pushcart Prize um, for her piece, um, A Brief History of Sound, which I believe was published and nominated by Hippocampus Magazine. Um, in the description um, on the SoundCloud page, um, I'll post a link. Um, so you should be able to um, go to the site and read it. Um, I had the, the, the honor and pleasure of reading the piece um, in its original form um, in workshop. Um, and I recall really liking it and believing in it. And uh, um, it was definitely... Um, uh, a delight to know that it was published and also to know that it was received so well um, by the journal that published it. Um, always believed in you, kid. Um, before we get into the pod, I guess I just sort of wanted to uh, use this this opportunity to uh, talk about myself, which, uh, if you know me, is uh, not totally unfamiliar uh, thing that I would do. Um, I've been listening to, um, Sharon Van Etten demos on Spotify and, uh, they're, they're kind of amazing and, um, raw and, you know, obviously they're demos, so they're unfinished and the songs are different than the, the, um, you know, the ones on the albums, um. It was like a real like treat to discover all this stuff on Spotify because I'm a big fan of hers and her music. And um, I don't know, that rawness is really connecting with me lately. Not in like the emotional sense, but in just like the, the production quality, like the hiss and the like she fumbles the guitar at times and just the way the songs are sort of are, um, a little bit um, you know, different um, than what I'm used to hearing. Um, I don't know, I just really relate to that kind of um, sound right now. Because I think I sense in it like a sort of vulnerability um, in Sharon, you know. Um, there's She's not able to sort of like fix things or hide behind like layers of, of production, you know. It's, it's really her being amazing with it, just the guitar. Um, but also sort of not being amazing. And I love that. Um, I like that DIY quality. I like that bedroom quality or bedroom production quality. Um, it's funny to me. Um, but it's also beautiful. Um, yeah, it's a real treat to discover them. If you're, uh, if you're interested in, um, listening to those demos, they're on Spotify. Um, I'm not sure why I'm connecting with that kind of music right now. Maybe it's the bleakness of winter, but it's not so bleak here in New Orleans. Weather's actually been pretty nice. Um, I don't know. I suppose things are wrapping up for the semester, so maybe there's a, a decompression going on, and I just need um, like to not be stimulated. I'm not sure. Um, but... Um, I love it when you can sort of like catch some tunes that just like fit in perfectly to your mood. It doesn't always happen. I go through long stretches where music just kind of doesn't do it for me. I hate those stretches. 
Um, but I am sort of heading into thesis writing mode, um, which I'll definitely keep you guys updated on about in, the, in subsequent interviews um, that I plan to do. Um, so it's nice to know that as that's starting, I'm back in a creative mindset, um, which is sort of something that Alex and I talk about um, on my uh, interview with him, Alex Tronson. I think I was sort of using him to kind of get somewhere with, um, you know, talk about inspiration and creativity. Um, it's an anxiety of mine. You, you don't always feel inspired, you know, or the, and sometimes the art you consume doesn't really inspire you. Um, I don't know. And maybe it's just, it's just working the angle, you know, finding the sort of like right place, the right time. Um, and then anything can kind of like fit right in where you need it, you know. In any event, um, thanks for listening to Talk Right. Very, very happy with my conversation with Kirsten. Um, I'm sure you'll feel the same way. Um, without further ado, Kirsten Reno. Hi, Kirsten. Thanks for coming on. Oh my God, thank you, Leif. How are you? I am lovely. I have been drinking. This is great. <laughs> I've also been drinking. This is the first ever official Talk Rate Drunk podcast. I'm honored to be a part of it. <laughs> I'm happy to have you um, in all of your um, drunk final form. That's um, when the wisdom really comes out. I agree. Um, so earlier today, we were um, watching the Saints game mm-hmm. um, for Ellis um, Anderson's um, French Quarter Journal, or at least I was. I was there um, watching the Saints game to write a piece for her, uh, for the French Quarter Journal, for Ellis, and um, um, you joined. And um, I, just, I just have a question for you. Hit me. Um, when you're researching... Because you're a nonfiction writer. I am. And something of a journalist. Uh, some people would call me that, yes. Correct. Mm. When you're researching, um, how do you do it? Do you like do you take notes or do you just sort of like allow yourself to absorb the environment? I take a lot of notes. You take notes. I think I'm always really nervous that I'm going to forget something really smart. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't take notes so on a pad. I will continuously be talking into my phone and recording things. So I'll be like speaking in full like sentences I plan on putting in pieces later. Okay. Because I something will happen or I want to capture like an image and I don't have enough time to write it down because I still want to be doing whatever I'm doing at the time. So like I'll just like pop in and like quietly whisper like man with blue hat says blah 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 right. and then like go about my day. So I just have like 40 notes on my phone that are 20 seconds long each. Okay. So I guess what if I mean, that's a good way to be. I guess that's what I do, but I just take notes. Like, I just write notes down on my phone. You did it. You do it, like, in your phone app. Yeah. I also do that, like, right when I leave an interview, if I have a really good, like, starting point, because I'm, like, fresh off the idea, I, like, start writing the article into my phone. Yeah. That's what I'm doing as as I'm in the, like, today, um, for the French Quarter Journal, I was at Harry's, just, you know, some, some bar in the French Quarter, and I was... It's a fun dive bar. Yeah, like I was, absor- I was absorbing the environment, but I was also like um, actively writing the pieces I was there. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, you get to be a part of it, and so things that as you're writing, you suddenly want to include, you actively can because you're right there in the moment, yeah. versus trying to like recreate it in your mind. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. I mean, that is, that is kind of, like, two different ways to work. And I wonder, like, I guess kind of my question is, like, when you, 
think or when you formulate, um, you know, your pieces? Like, are you thinking in terms of image, or are you thinking in terms of like, uh, you know, I have like a, a a statement to make? Because your your pieces hmm. are, at least in my mind. Um, I've read a number of your pieces in Workshop, and, and you've yeah. also been published. Like, they're, um, they're concise, and they are image-formulated. I think I think in visuals. Um, and so I think I'm really naturally drawn to always working in that way, as much as, like, writing will allow me to, which is, you know, kind of limited. Yeah. But... I think that's like a big part of my writing is that I'm just like naturally drawn to really strong like visual things. Um, but I like to think I go in with something to say. Sure. <laughs> I don't always know if it comes out. I may hope. Well, I mean, even if you have it. an image, you still have to. Like, it needs work. to mean something. Yeah, you have to say yeah. something about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I'm really like image oriented, and I think just part of being in grad school and like being a lifelong reader has allowed me to maybe become like very focused and concise and how I like want to describe the images I'm seeing. Mm. I also think people can just like in journalism people can connect faster if you start out with a strong image. Right. Because that is so much more relatable than starting with like a person or like describing a personality. Or um, coming at them with philosophy. Coming at them with philosophy or something. If you just give like a moment, then people can latch on to that. And that's what's going to bring people, like, into a strong story. Right. Not if I immediately start talking about, like, postmodernism and, like, my opinions on images and, like, modern history. Right. Mm-hmm. So, where do you think that part of you came from? Why do you think you are the way you are? I think that I am very lucky that I was, like, a lifelong reader. My parents were really, really um, focused on making sure I read a lot, and I read from a lot of different places. Um, which is really lucky coming from a super small town. So a lot of the ways I was able to experience a larger world was just the reading um, and just very naturally reading books about Africa and Russia and Mexico and these like narratives that allowed me to explore in that way. I also grew up down the street from a dollar store VHS rental place. Okay. So we had like a different movie every night and they were all very weird. Yeah. And so, so you grew up reading, but also lots of movies. Movie. A lot of movies, especially with two little sisters. My parents had three kids under the age of five, and we all liked movies. So it was way easier to stick us in front of that for two hours while they, like, made dinner or something than to try and, like, convince us to, like, independently read. 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 (laughs) Exactly. So I watched a lot of things like um, Anastasia Toot, Bartok's Great Revenge, and uh, The Thief and the Cobbler, which is, like, a really famous animated movie. Um, but I didn't know at the, that at the time. I just thought it was funny and weird and different. Yeah. And so now I do have a like lifelong love of animation from those things, too. I think it's a really, really cool format. Right. Mm-hmm. So I I guess the reason I, I sort of started our conversation off with this is because I was um, shown a, inter, um, a conversation with Lana Del Rey and Grimes. Ooh, okay, interesting. And it was, Good segue. Yeah, it was derided uh-huh. uh, pretty, you know, generally across the internet. Like, people just basically just made fun of them for having this conversation. Um, because it was two sort of, you know, space space cadets. Yeah. But who <laughs> um, do also have a lot um, to show for um, their weirdness. 
Um, and they, the way that they um, were sort of, um, you know, having that conversation about art and whatever was um, just sort of talking about themselves, which is what we do a lot on Talk Ray. So, like, I, I, I get the derision, but I also, like, kind of do appreciate people, like, sort of being willing to go out on a psychedelic limb every now and then. Yeah. And at one point, Grimes was, like, um... Grimes is, like, a weird horse girl that grew up. I love her for that. <laughs> she was, like, blah, 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 blah. I don't really think in, in words, I think, in images. Hmm. And, and I was sort of hearing that and, like, yeah, I mean, like, I would make fun of that, too, if I was you know, a jaded sort of, like, journalist that had to churn out 500 words on this Grimes article, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, or whatever, but um, at the same time, if you can kind of give yourself some headspace and just kind of sit with, with things like that without having to make a judgment, like, I think a lot of creatives understand that space where it's like, it's like I'm not really um, saying um, what I feel or think or communicating anything outside of like I just had like this image like I had this thought but it was basically an image yeah and that's where all of the weird shit that I said came from and like that's how like obviously like you can kind of go on a tangent but I appreciated her pointing out like listen this was like in my music or whatever this was an image based kind of directive. I mean, Adele once said that she wrote every song thinking of an image. Yeah. Too. Yeah, I think it's a really common thing. It's, it's something that's been just bouncing around in my head. I'm like, do we really think in words or do we think in image? I think maybe both. I think it depends on what medium we probably engage with the most. Yeah. I would say I probably think in words, but if I'm like going, like if I'm meditating or if I'm like, you know how sometimes you like slip into that space and it's like between sleeping and awake? Yeah. And you're just kind of existing in that, like right before you fall asleep or right when you wake up or like yeah. when you have a really sick cup of coffee and you're like sitting in the backyard and you're just like hanging out. Yeah. I think that space becomes very like visual yeah. and very like just like very psychedelic-y almost. Yeah. Um, I mean like I haven't thought in words in a long time. I don't think I think I don't in words. think I actually, yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure I've ever really thought in words. Like it just kind of blew my mind open because I was like... I'm pretty sure I've only ever really thought an image. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, occasionally, like, fragments of words will come to me, mm -hmm. and I'll write them down or whatever, but most of the time I'm thinking in terms of image or vignette. Yeah, I think a lot in vignette. Yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, I think that's part of our job as writers is to turn images into language. That right? is true. Yes. It's, that's what I'm, that's kind of what I'm getting at. It's mm -hmm. like... The, the, the job of the writer isn't to record an inner monologue. It's really to parse image. Yes, I agree completely. I think that's a really important part of engaging with your readers. Like, you can write your thought process if you want, and you can do that. But unless you give them something to latch onto, a scene, an image, like a space, who cares? Like, why, why should anyone, like, how do you latch onto that? There needs to be something grounded, and I think image is a way that we can all connect in that way. Especially, like, you know, we both are, like, really big readers, and we're writers, and we, like, love the written word. Not most of, not, most people aren't like that. Right. Like, there's tons of people that just don't read, and that's fine. Yeah. That's very true. 
I think we like forget a lot about that because we're in such a like. And I love being but in this bubble. That, but wouldn't that mean that they think more in um, image than we would? Like if our I don't know. So much of our intake is based on consuming words. I think we're a lot more likely to just because yeah, we're like intaking that medium. But it's, so it doesn't it. though. But and it doesn't yet, work that way. And yet. It, yeah, 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 it doesn't work that way. Like the more you read, the more you think a church is seen. I think maybe it's because sometimes I'll see a beautiful image and I like know I want to write about it later, and so I start making it into words. Mm-hmm. Where if you are like not prone into writing, that's like not something you even attempt. Yes. You know, you're just like allowed to sit in that image and maybe like want to transfer into something else, but you're not immediately looking at language yes. to transfer that. So, yeah, no, I get that. Mm-hmm. I often wonder about people who don't have creative impulses. Like, what do you do with all the shit that lives in your head? What do you do with it, right? Uh, who knows? Um, <laughs> so you grew up in West Virginia. I did. Um, there must be tons of beautiful imagery out there. It's yeah, it's wild and wonderful. It's the most beautiful state in the nation. Does it stay with you? All that beautiful? I think so. I think I was um very fortunate to grow up in West Virginia and that I had like a very strong appreciation for nature, um, in an untouched way. And there's obviously like a lot of problems with West Virginia and it has a lot of its own like natural issues with fracking and coal mining and all these like environmental problems that are going on, but so much of the land is just, you can like stand out on a peak and just see nothing man-made. Right. And there's something really humbling about that. It's like when you look at the stars and you're reminded about how small you are. Yes. And there's really two ways to take it. Like you're so small and oh my God, like nothing matters and that's terrible. Or you're so small and nothing matters and isn't that wonderful. Like you can do anything. Correct. Because you're a part of it. Exactly. And you're part, yeah. And so I think... Being from West Virginia, I get, um, I really appreciate that. I also have to go into nature like once a month. Or else Just I feel, to remind you where you're from. I get, I think I get grumpy if I don't do it. Yeah. yeah. It's a good reminder that like we're so much smaller and the world is so much bigger than like the city or the bubble that we're in. Oh, I just, uh, to, to <laughs> connect back to the drug podcast, I just opened, uh, uh, my beer. Cheers to the, the drug podcast where you take knowledge that we're, uh, Still drinking. Can't stop, won't stop. Um, yeah, cheers to the New Orleans Saints. Um, <laughs> cheers <laughs> to the city of New Orleans for getting us taped. Um, but even um, that, like, I feel like we're doing um, justice talking about nature. I would you know, with so. a, you need like a couple of drinks on you to really understand, I or not, like, or to get to a place where you're like, okay, I'm gonna unwind and like sort of appreciate what's going on. Two more drinks into this, and I would just be like gushing for right. the next you love hour. The nature. You love I the love the nature, you know. Do you I really get grumpy without it? I think so. Yeah, I think it's really important as a recentering tool. Yeah. Just to spend an entire day out in what nature. What happens when you're out in nature? I think one huge benefit is that you don't get cell phone service. Um, and I know, like, obviously, like, if I wanted to, I could just turn off my phone all day and disconnect and, like, be with myself like that, but it's hard, you know? I want to check the internet. I want to see what's up on Twitter. I don't want to miss a funny meme on the Instagram. Right. Um, it's, like, a natural impulse. Like, what if my mom called, you know? Um, if I'm hiking, there's, like, no way. It just can't happen. And so, you get to do that. You get to explore. It's the closest thing we can be to being explorers again, even though, obviously, it's, like, safe areas and, like, set upon trails and I'm like not necessarily into like 
trying to find the faster or crazier way, it still feels like an exploration every time you get to do it because it's your first time doing it. Or you're taking someone else and then you get to be like a leader and it's like fun in that way. And again, like, yeah, you just get to be reminded about how there's such a larger world out there. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's good. I think it's good to leave the bubble, like, no matter what, once a month. Like, wherever yeah, you I are, agree with that part, you just sure. need to get out. And so sometimes it ends up with me going to nature. Sometimes it ends with me going to, like, a weird small town. I went to that um, Rain, Louisiana, the frog capital of the world, a oh, couple months ago. Yeah, I remember that. And I saw all those frogs. <laughs> I didn't see a single mind. real frog. I just saw frog statues. It was the best. Yeah. <laughs> it was really oh, fun. I remember, I remember you posted on Instagram about that. Yeah, it was really fun. I met Jean, um, the giant silver frog. <laughs> He's like 12 feet tall and I love him. That um, was like an immediate like moment, for, a bonding moment for you. I really, like, I almost cried yeah. looking at him. I thought like, it was the funniest exactly thing needed. I've ever seen yeah. in my life. But truly just being like, oh, like just getting out of that bubble. Yeah. And all we did, like, we just, like, saw the frog statues and, like, walked around and went to a giant thrift store, which yeah. was sick, by the way. Great. Um, good to know. There's a good-ass thrift store. It was awesome. Louisiana. It had all this, like, 1920s, like, really nice art deco furniture for, like, 200 bucks. That's excellent. I know. I was like, wow. And some people were so nice. I was like, wow, my new grandparents from <laughs> Louisiana. <laughs> but I think it's just important to get out of the bubble no matter what. I think I'm naturally drawn to getting out of the bubble in a way that allows me to like reconnect with what I feel like are my roots sure. and my roots feel very much intertwined with nature and hiking. It also it's, sounds like you, you just kind of like to, to... I just like to be outside. You like, well, but also like you like to like travel. Like you I like do. to like get away. Yeah, I do. I like to travel a lot. I think that's really important to me. Yeah. I don't know why I couldn't like pinpoint it, except that I was very lucky that um, both my parents were teachers. And so we were able to spend our summers traveling. Yeah. And so it kind of, I grew up thinking that that was like a very natural thing to do. And that's what you're supposed to do with your life and your money. I had the same experience. Mm -hmm. I grew up um, traveling a lot when I was a child. I travel less now than I did when I was a kid. And you still travel a decent amount. I try to. Yeah. As much as I can, I like to get out of whatever city I'm in and go see the outdoors or other, other places that are close. Um, because I need that reset. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's interesting because you can go to a place that's really not that, that interesting. Mm -hmm. Do you know but what I mean? But it's new. But it's new. And it, and it, it changes whatever's going on in your head. Exactly. And you can go back to wherever you were living or whatever, and you're like, okay, I have a, like, a new, I feel like I, you know, I got, I got a good eight hours. It really is a mental reset. It's a mental reset. Completely. Yeah. Just being somewhere, um... I was talking earlier about how I went to Little Rock, Arkansas a couple months ago, and we just, like, went for two days. Mm -hmm. But it was such a mental reset just to be in a different place, even though we were doing the exact same things we do here. Correct, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's something about uh, just getting out of the bubble. Yeah, it's Because really wherever, like, whatever city you're in, like, it turns into a bubble. Always. Yeah. No matter what. Yeah. It's, I think, supernatural, and I think it's natural to, like, bubble your friends. Yeah. Like, you just hang out with, like, the same ten people, and then... You have ten it. friends. No, I think I, I actively work to expand out on that. <laughs> I wish I had 10 friends. <laughs> I have more than 10 friends. Some of us in this room are popular. Yeah. I mean, uh, I have friends, but I, uh, I don't know. Sometimes it feels like um, I'm a firm or something. I think the secret that they don't tell you 
about growing up is that it gets a lot harder to make friends. Ooh, good point. It is. I think it gets a lot harder um, just to, like, have casual friendships. Yeah. I think we're really lucky, like, the grad school really, like, sets itself up to creating relationships with other people. Because Absolutely. a lot of us are from out of state. We have a lot of, like, social things that we do together. And that's really, really lucky. Because, like, when I first moved here, I knew I had one friend, maybe two friends, all summer. Because I moved in May and I started school in August. Because it's just hard. Like, what do you do? You work and then you make friends with the people you work with, maybe. But even then you have to be, like, very careful because, like, you work together. And so there's, like, a movement there. Correct. Yeah. And then... Yeah. Outside of work, you maybe, like, meet some people that you're interested in on a dating app. Dating right? apps sometimes, yeah. And, like... Maybe meet up. But it, it's, like, th there's no, like, real channels that are sort of, like, established for you to, like, meet people and make friends. Like, yeah. That ends up being, like, uh, sort of everything's very formalized. It's very formal. Yeah. And you could, like, I mean, you can join, like, intramural sports or something or, like, yeah. join a club. But even then, like, it's but formal. Like, then. so you can go through the whole process, keep your head down, and kind of walk away without meeting anybody. Exactly. You know, it's, I've done that. And, yeah. and it's not because I didn't make friends, quote-unquote. It was just because, like, I did the thing, and then the thing was over, and, like, I don't know. It just didn't stick. I'm, like too awkward to be like, hey guys, um, would you all, all like to go out and get drunk on Saturday? Like, it's so uncomfortable. It's true, like, trying it's to true, be like, I would like to hang out with all six of you, not in a weird way. Yeah. Like, it's no, so it's hard. So, um, to segue into something that I wanted to talk about with you, um, growing up in the rural countryside. Good old rural America. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to make friends out there. It is hard. So well, there's like 500 people. You grew up in a town of how many people? Um, I think there are now 4,000 people in my entire town. What's the name of the town you grew up in? It's in Grafton, West Virginia, which is the home of Mother's Day, if you didn't know. I didn't know. That is the home of Mother's Day. Anna Jarvis, I went to Anna Jarvis Elementary School. We have the Mother's Day Shrine in Grafton, West Virginia. So she petitioned the government to have a Mother's Day? Yes, and then once she turned like 30, she spent the rest of her life trying to stop Mother's Day. Okay, tell me A lot story. of drama. Okay, so Anna Jarvis was crazy, and I love her. She's my favorite historical figure, not just because we're from the same town, but because she once compared Roosevelt to Stalin because he wouldn't let her raid flower shops anymore. What, what, That's a true that? story. <laughs> Rank? Raid. She was trying to, like, steal flowers from flower shops to stop Mother's Day. And he, Roosevelt, uh... He was like, you literally can't do that. And she was like, Stalin. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, it was like a well-known fact that Anna Jarvis was like going through like, <laughs> flower shops and just like stealing all the flowers. She got and, really upset. And the president... She was like, literally, And the stop. president of the United States was like, we have to make a point to stop Anna Jarvis from stealing our flowers. Someone stop this woman. Are you serious? <laughs> less formal than that but she was like Theodore Roosevelt is like Stalin for not letting me do this <laughs> she wanted to stop wrong, it because she thought it became too commercialized she originally <laughs> again she's not wrong she's like not wrong about any of that that's the crazy part right um she made Mother's Day because she wanted to do something to honor her mother she never had any children herself so in that way it's like almost a truly selfless holiday but she wanted it to be a really private holiday because, you know, we have, like, the private and the public holiday spheres. 
And so she wanted this to be like a very intimate thing where you like spent time with your mother or you sent her a card and it was really meaningful. And so when florists started selling things, and it started becoming like a gift-giving holiday. Mother's Day and Father's Day are a massive pain in the ass. Father's Day is from Fairmont, West Virginia, which is 30 minutes away from my house. <laughs> How did this happen? Good question, man. Um, Anna Jarvis was headstrong. Okay, and so I really think she like did that, and then yeah, someone no, from Fairmont from the town over was like... like well, I understand like, why you wanted to create something like that, but like obviously it got out of control. Because, yeah. I mean, listen, this isn't well, like a, a controversial huge opinion. Sending your mom flowers and a card or whatever, like, it's not that big of a pain in the ass, but, like, come on, it's it's an added thing that you have to do, and you're not mm -hmm. really appreciating your mother. Come That's, on, you're doing the thing that you have to do, because if you didn't, it would just kind of be rude or mean. Yeah. And your mom would be like, well, everybody else got flowers, and I didn't. And, and You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, it's like, I don't mind sending my mom flowers. Or but whatever, or sending her a card. It's but not actually it's just meaningful. Like, it's and actually Anna Jarvis originally attended, and it's not meaningful. Yep. Um, so she's just not wrong. She's not wrong. But, she was not wrong. But yeah. at that point, it was so out of her hands. Yeah. You know, it was like. But oh, how did she get it to take off? So it started being like statewide things, uh, and then enough states took it off that they just made it a national holiday. Um, it's also worth noting, interestingly enough, that Mother's Day, we think of as still, like, really sentimental. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, a moment that you, like, you know, send your mom flowers or, like, call her and tell her how much you love her. And Father's Day is still, like, a joke. <laughs> it is, you know? Like, <laughs> Father's Day, like, for dad gifts and, like, ties. <laughs> I just text my pops, man. Like, I'm not even, like, right? on it. I'm just, like, you're good. Hey, Happy dad. <laughs> um... It's really, really fascinating, though. No, um, it's true. Her My mother's really taken cool. Mother's taken seriously because the other mother's taken seriously. And, like, I think it also started as a serious thing. I also think it says something about, like, how we feel that we can, like, express our, fem our feelings towards women. Mm. Or we're, like, still uncomfortable doing that with men. True. You know, I do think that there's, like, a definite gendered space there. In yeah. that, you know, women have this, like, we, like, involve women with ideas of sentimentality. And like nostalgia, my mom does so much for me. And it also, I think it's true that like for most of history, women I mean did the primary child raising. Right. And so it would make sense that we maybe like do that more intensely mm -hmm. than we like on our fathers. But at this point, you know, like it's a new age. Ideally, men are at least pulling fifty percent of the weight in child raising. Right. But we still are like so uncomfortable being like, Dad, you like really raised me. We're like, Dad, here's a Tasmanian devil tie. Ha ha ha. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, 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 I get the, that there, yeah, I get the, the, the sort of progression of, um, the way that, you know, children are, are reared. Like, I understand that, like, there's definitely, like, a, that's always going to get, that's an evolution, like, that's going to continue yeah. to change. Um, but, the holidays you know, just haven't really caught up to it. Right. But for the time being, like, mothers get the brunt of the sentimentality and fathers kind of get, like, a text message. Definitely. Um, also, I think that actually there should be just like parent day. Yeah. And then you can just I honor just, the parents in your life. I, here's the thing, and I've and I've I've said this stuff before, and it always makes me seem kind of like a dick. But like I'm excited. <laughs> it's just it's not really that. Yeah. Significant in terms of like a real emotional connection. It's just going through the motions. You're the people Anna Jarvis hated. 
You, you and Anna Jarvis would have misfought in a flower shop, let me tell you. Well, no, I, I think we would have, I would have been like, I think this is bullshit as I'm buying $50 of flowers or something. And she would have been like, I agree. You should mean this. And I'd be like, well, I don't. And she'd be like, okay, well, then. <laughs> she'd be like, then stop buying flowers. Yeah, and, and you'd be like, no, my mom will be, no, mom will be so sad. Yeah. Um, so, um, I, I mentioned to you before, like, um, we, we began the podcast that I wanted to tell you about, um, your run, my run in rural Louisiana where I grew mm-hmm. up. Um, and we actually got sidetracked, uh, by Mother's Day. We didn't really get to hear so much about like West Virginia, which, so we'll come back to it. There's a lot of history there that we like forget about. Yeah. We have Mother's Day, Mothman, lest we forget. Elizabeth Bishop? Um, Mothman, The Cryptid, Point Pleasant, The Falling of the Bridge, The Richard Gere movie. <laughs> oh, that Mothman. That Mothman, straight out of the V. I've gone to the festival. <laughs> oh my god, do you know where I saw that movie? Where did you see that movie? I saw that movie on a cruise with my parents. That's weird to sell. Yeah, they gave me my own room because <laughs> I was an adolescent, and I guess I was like masturbating too much or something. So like, Probably. <laughs> they were like, like man, we, can not, we cannot just quietly hear our son masturbating. I swear to god, over. they gave me the VIP <laughs> treatment on that cruise. They were, I was like, oh, we're going on a cruise? This is rad. There's like, also, I was, like, never I anyone under the age of... Tw- There's never anyone under the age of, like, 45 on a cruise ship. I, yeah, I was the youngest <laughs> person by far. And I was like, they're like, uh, so by the way, get your own room. They're like our one youth. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, sweet. This is great. Wait, years later, when I look back on it, I was like, oh, they knew I was going to, like, be masturbating all the time. And they mm-hmm. didn't want to, like, be, they didn't want me to clog up the bathroom or whatever. You'd see an extra curvy piece of driftwood and just... Oh, yeah, I would. No, I absolutely would. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm fucking in my 30s, and I still, like, get triggered by, like, um... Just anything Strange curvy. wood shapes. Yeah, just anything slightly curvy. I'm like, yeah, I can masturbate to that. Anyway, um... I watched that, that movie on a cruise. We, we we left from New Orleans. We went down to Mississippi. We went to uh, another, out of the Gulf and we went to Mexico. Mm-hmm. And um, um, I had this very bizarre, not bizarre actually, but like very like, um, sort of like, um, not typical either, but like a, a, I think a common moment mm-hmm. that people have on the Mississippi where you're like this the history of this place is kind of, the history of this sort of river is yeah. kind of monumental. It's enormous. Yeah, and, like, sometimes, like, if you're ever out on the Mississippi, like, you can feel it. Yeah. And I had it. Like, I was looking through the, my little window, and there was the full moon, and I was just, like, on, you know, like, Mark Twain's river. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. I was just, like... It's so mythologized. Yeah, and, and I was, like, oh, mm-hmm. like, I get, I get it now. Like, I get the mystery of this place. Anyway... Um, that's how, where you watched and, and then I the and then I immediately uh, uh, began masturbating because <laughs> of, of you know the um, the coral yeah. <laughs> something coral? that I saw <laughs> was vaguely resembling a woman and I was like well I can masturbate to that so I did because Hot. I didn't have impulse control when I was 13 or 32 or 32 <laughs> um, okay so you were telling me about your run I distracted you again by telling you about Mothman who is like the West Virginia Lord and Savior? Yeah, we so, have a lot of monsters. That's like a cool part about. I did watch that movie on the cruise. Tell actually, okay. So now we're we're All in right. the past. So tell me about Mothman before we move on. Just give me a real quick summary. Okay, the quick step is that Mothman was seen around Point Pleasant and mm-hmm. um, Pleasant's County, and people still aren't sure if he caused the bridge collapse or if he was trying to warn people of the bridge collapse. So he was seen 
around West Virginia and a little bit in Ohio, um, all around this time period in like I think the 70s. And then the Silver Bridge collapsed. It killed hundreds of people. This bridge just absolutely destroyed. Um, and they say that they saw Mothman right there. So now there's a Mothman festival. There's this Richard Gere movie. Um, it's really popped up in pop culture again. It's really interesting. I had known about Mothman because like I grew up in West Virginia and there's just a lot of monsters. Mm -hmm. um, there's Mothman, the Grafton monster, the Flatwoods monster, Bat Boy. Mm -hmm. They're like all over the place. The Greenbrier, the Greenbrier ghost, um, which is the first time a ghost has been able to testify in a trial. Oh, wow. That is a fun fact. How did that happen? That is a whole different story. Um, but I strongly recommend everyone look into it because the Greenbrier ghost story is crazy. Yeah. Um, there's tons of like monsters and mythology in West Virginia because you know it's really rural, right. um, which makes it extra spooky. And it like you know is able to like sort of cling to these folk tales in a different way. I think, mm -hmm. but it's really been interesting like seeing it being updated into a modern era because people love Mothman. They call themselves Moth fans. Okay. Love that. But yeah. even, like, down here, people, like, will see, I have, like, a Mothman shirt that I wear sometimes, and people will see it and be like, oh, Mom, da 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 and I'm like, yeah, like, I'm from there. <laughs> yeah, 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 I grew up with East Coast. <laughs> like, this is, like, part of, like, something I've known for a long time, um, and it's crazy because people don't know it's from West Virginia, and to me that seems very vital to the story. Right. But I guess it's not. Um, it's just so natural. Well, that's the, the universal paradox. True. If it's relatable, like, everyone can relate to it. Exactly. I think it's really interesting that people have, like, relatched on to Mothman recently. I think it has to do with the new Fallout game, which is set in West Virginia. Ah, gotcha. Mothman, like, runs around. Um, I don't know what it is. I think maybe it's, like, also a resurgence for, resurgence for the love of paranormal. I think that's coming back. It comes, it comes in waves, for sure. Exactly. I think we're, like, on a murder podcast thing right we were, now. for sure. Yeah, We're yeah. definitely in a murder podcast thing. And that naturally sort of lends itself to being just interested in the spooky. Yeah. And Mothman is such like a prolific incident that it very easily comes up. Yeah. But, yes, yeah, he's like a big black thing with glowing red eyes and he doesn't fly. He just shoots up like a helicopter. Yeah. And that's Mothman. Compelling. Um, An interesting dude. I got my picture taken with his statue. Oh, you're I all know. about taking pictures of statues. You know how I do. It's like a big silver statue with red eyes. And oh, they you, gave that's him like, your shit. And they gave him like a fully formed, like a very athletic butt. Yeah. <laughs> it's really fascinating. It's all the details, you know. <laughs> you really have to like make sure you get it right. It kind of looks, he looks sort of like a half fly man. Yeah. Not my Mothman, let me tell you. Sure. But I took my picture with him anyways. You, do you have a Mothman in your head? Yeah, yeah, definitely. My Mothman doesn't have a neck. It's just like a set of shoulders and like red eyes and big wings. That's that's interesting. It's interesting, it's interesting that you like know with it. It's interesting that you're thinking good image. Ooh. Yeah. Wow, way to bring it back around, Lave. Yeah. I yeah. heard that. Why do they let me do this, you know? Wild. <laughs> okay, tell me about your run now. So I took a run. I took a six mile run when I went back home for Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, this was like about. 30 miles outside of um, Alexandria, Louisiana, where like, I grew up. When I was a teenager, my mom moved me out to the country. Mm -hmm. um, she moved me out to the country. We like, moved out to the country because she was um, just a country girl at heart. Ready she to be grew out up, there. She grew up like really like uh, blue collar. Get back to nature. Out in the country, and she loved it, and she always wanted to be um, kind of like a, a country person. You know. I too, a country person. 
she like like she like what it like I it's it's weird because I wasn't raised that way. Yeah. You're from that, the metropolitan area. That wasn't really yeah, well, I mean in a sense like that wasn't my upbringing. Like my dad is a, an immigrant from the Middle East. Yeah. Um so there's a there's exactly whether like house. you like whether I want it or not like there's a there is an urbanity to that. There's a cosmopolitanism to that. Yeah. That's like I'm not that I'm not like, that I don't even lean into. It's just like it's just there. Like I can go like I've gone to New York, I've gone to like you're very comfortable in cities. Name a city. I've been there, and, like, I, I, I fit in because I'm brown. Ooh. It's true. Interesting. In the sense that, like, brown people see me. Like, I've been to cities in Europe, and, like, brown like brown people see me, and they're, like, mm-hmm. like I just, I get a nod. Yeah. Because we're, I'm, I'm a part of an immigrant diaspora. Mm-hmm. And whether you grew up in the country or the city, it's the same diaspora. And it's a it's an urbane diaspora. It's a cosmopolitan diaspora, and it doesn't really matter where you're from. You could be from Kazakhstan, mm-hmm. for example, grow up like in the middle of Just nowhere, <laughs> and then move to wherever Moscow, mm-hmm. New York, L.A., whatever, and you're suddenly a part of an urbanity that you never knew existed and never really even tried to claim, but now you are a part of it because you are from somewhere else. And immigrant and this and it's because immigrants belong to the cities. Oh. I don't know if you know this, but it's true. Immigrants don't get to own the the country the way that white people do. It makes sense. They yeah. own cities. Immigrants belong to the cities, and also um, the cities belong, like the cities claim the immigrants. The, yeah. the countryside doesn't claim immigrants the way the cities do. It makes sense. Like I'm just thinking about like the history of immigration and how it Think operated. It. it goes. Yeah, through the it's some, not something I ever have considered before. But you're completely right. Like it goes straight through cities. I'm more right. There's than a you natural. Realize. Yeah, I believe that yeah, too. It's like it's so much. It's such a bigger like. And I wonder how much of that has to do. Realize. I wonder yeah. how much of that also has to do with like early in early immigration where people would settle in things that felt like home. They settled where the money was. That too. And then, but but this is what's actually interesting, and you, and you bring it up, but your point is actually the really interesting part, mm-hmm. is that immigrants did go where things felt like home. Like, if you go out to yeah. Idaho, for example, there's a ton of um, Basque immigrants, mm-hmm. or it's a cattle, um, and herding and stuff like that. So yeah. they're from Spain, and there's a big herding community in Spain. Mm-hmm. Like, they grew up, um, these the Basque immigrants grew up with... Um, in that kind of lifestyle, like herding, a, a, a rural existence, essentially. Yeah. Um, um, and they found it. They rediscovered it there's in a huge... Idaho. And you, you get it all over the country. Um, in uh, New Orleans, there's a mm. uh, very large Croatian community mm-hmm. um, it, who sort of brought um, oyster farming to New Orleans. Yeah. And they brought that from Europe. Um, the, the Vietnamese. I was about to say, how does that relate to the like, large they, Vietnamese population? Mm-hmm. They grow rice and they uh, they fish and and um, that's from Vietnam and that mm-hmm. that both of those um, crops were here in New mm-hmm. Orleans. That's why they. That's not necessarily why they came here, but it's something that they discovered here, and that's why that this sort of one of the things that sort of kept them here it and allowed their community you. to grow. Yeah. Um, and so you do get like these these rural sort of communities. Um, yeah, it's and, really fascinating. But, it, but it's they don't get the um, notoriety. Yes. Or the um, the like sort of like understanding from like natives of how significant it is. The yeah. way that like um, um, the way that the notoriety gets 
sort of allocated to like the significance of like immigrant communities um, sort of uh, assimilating into cities. Yeah. And, it, and a lot of it has to do with just like what's vocalized. You know, like there's, there's mm -hmm. less eyes on like the Vietnamese community in New Orleans as opposed to like the Italian community in New York that's been there for centuries. You know? I was about to say how much of it has to do with just like longevity space. I'm in becoming part also of the just, culture like, itself. People talking about it. People you know, talking about so it. There's so many yeah. like little enclaves of immigrant communities throughout the country that just this, the press around them is minimal because they live in the, the, the rural community. So nobody's, yeah. nobody's like writing about them. West Virginia them. has, I can only speak from my experience, but West Virginia has a huge Italian and Irish communities. Mm. Um, in part because, you know, coal mining and like making money that way and being really, really poor and like this whole history of like what white trash is and like mm. poor white communities. It's really fascinating. And also like what is white, which like Italian and Irish wasn't considered for a long time. They like, right. traded in the... Right. I mean, I, I'm in, Middle Eastern. Like it's going to be another 50 years before we're actually white, white. So yeah. like, we're going to be white one day. It's sort of like trading in um, to like assimilate in a lot of ways. Yeah. And like, yeah, it's like a whole history into itself around race topic. and Italian and Irish. And it's like fascinating stuff. But I mean, like we have like tons of like these really interesting traditions that come from that. But like, I mean, at this point, it's just so like to me part of West Virginia. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't consider that, like, its own separate unit because it has been that way for so long. Right. But also, when I say for so long, you know, I was born in 1993, so anything past the 70s, I'm like, whoo, forever. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, my sort of take on immigrant communities is I always have, I have a firsthand um, understanding of it. Yeah. And it, what it is is that it's, it's people that come here, want to hold on to their traditions, and then just because as time passes, they're just like, I, I it's over. Do you think This community, it, it's, it either, it either, it stays together because there's enough people that remember, mm -hmm. or it breaks apart. Do you think there's like a perfect balance between assimilation and holding on to your, like, traditional country values? It, it there's not a perfect balance, but there's, um, no, you either make the American, you, you fit, you fit some kind of weird American dream model, mm -hmm. or, um, you become American. Interesting. You, you, you fit mm -hmm. the model of a, you become a model immigrant, or you just become American. There's mm -hmm. no balance. The truth is when you, as immigrants, when they come here, aren't, they're not from the country that, of origin anymore. Mm -hmm. And they're, um, they're treated like shh for the most part mm -hmm. um, less so in, in the 21st century because everyone's just so used to immigrants mm -hmm. and it's like it's not you don't need to terrorize these people anymore but there's a long history of terrorizing immigrants yeah unquestionably um, but what but the people back home they they don't think of you as um, and there's still like terrorizing of immigrants it's just in a different way yeah there's the xenophobia it's mostly directed towards hispanic immigrants it's not the way that it used to be but the, the that that terror and that fear and that xenophobia is still present definitely um so you and i think but, i mean but we what had, like, ended up happening was there became a model for how you assimilate and yeah. what you look like and what you and the, the like the right way to do it mm -hmm. and um if you don't fit that then I mean, you just become, you become, like, trash. 
Interesting. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. People get and, really upset if you don't want to assimilate. Yeah, exactly. I think that's like a really strong right way, way to do it. There's a right way and a wrong xenophobia. way to do it. Arabs like in this country, because I mean, like, I'm Middle Eastern, so like, that's my 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 point. Like, yeah. that's my my perspective. Like, Arabs in this country are have many many communities where they're well respected. Mm-hmm. Like Dearborn. I mean, there's Arab communities all throughout New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, any big city. There's Arab communities, yeah. and they're respected people. Mm-hmm. Nobody's, you know, sort of afraid of Arabs being here, even though they're Muslim, even though, like, that, technically, like, Arabs are the, the, the people yeah. that took down, nine, uh, you know, took down the Twin Towers. Like, nobody thinks of Arabs in that context, because we're essentially white people. Yeah. We're allowed to be here, and we have communities, and we're full of successful people, and that's great. But if you want to be out, if you want to exist as an Arab outside of those communities, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you want to be like, um, if you want to live in some redneck town, yeah, and just be an Arab family in a redneck town, and like you're a Muslim, so your wife's wearing a hijab, for example, and you want to raise your kids Muslim, like good luck. It gets a lot more complicated. It gets a lot more complicated, and it's not as much fun, and nobody really respects your values. Or where you're from. It's that isolation. Yeah. I think. I think that's like a huge part of the difficulty of being different in rural America, period. Mm-hmm. Is that if you don't feel like, because there's so few people, if you feel like you don't meet the standard, then it's so isolating. It's scary and it's hard. Um, I think that's like one of the wonders of the internet is a way to feel make people feel connected. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, like, when you're in law, you gotta go live your life. You have to, like, live things. And exactly. it's, 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 it's so, yeah, I mean, just to go back to, you know, my point, like, there are model immigrants, and then there's um, immigrants that are trying to sort of make it in places where those communities don't really have a tradition or um, a history, and it, it, it can get very difficult very quickly. And um, that's where I see, I think, a, like, a lot of, like, xenophobia now. There's, like, obviously still this, like, really terrible tradition of just, like, go back to your country, like, fuck it, close off the borders. Mm-hmm. But there's also this sort of idea of, like, well, they should have done it properly. Or, like, mm-hmm. oh, like, dream. You know, it's, like, this problem of wanting immigration to look a certain way when that's, like, really, like, not possible. One, because our system is so messed up about it. Mm-hmm. And also, like, all people are just people. Like, everyone's just trying to live their life. Jesus Christ, calm down. Yeah, I have that heart, too. Yeah. Um, so just to quickly go back to my run, just to, yes. to get to I really want to hear this story. It's pertinent to, I'm glad diverting. we got into the, the immigrant thing because it's pertinent to that. So like I grew up um, just outside of Alexandria, mm-hmm. Louisiana, and um, my mom wanted to live out in the country, and it was something that I judged really hard when I was a teen because it was boring. Well, like, yeah. Like I couldn't listen, like there weren't punk shows out there and I couldn't skate. And I was like, fuck this. You can't skate, fuck it. Yeah, that's skate. not very punk like, rock of you. Right. I mean, it's true. I was like, mom, I can't skate out here. Like, what is this? The country, like, rural America, I think, is really awesome if you're under 10 and over 40 and <laughs> nowhere in between. Correct. <laughs> like, I, I was love just, like, I was, like, trying to pop Ollie's on, like, this, like, old slab we had next to our house. Yeah. And I was like, I can't even skate out here, mom. <laughs> um, I couldn't skate either, but that's because it was just a one big hill. Yeah. It's like Sisyphus and the skateboard. Yeah, so fast forward 20 years, and I, uh, I'm there for Thanksgiving, and I just, I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll see you guys later. I'm going to go for a run. Just to get outside. Yeah. Like, I, I have that rural sort of thing where, like, I need to be outdoors a lot. 
If I can be outdoors, I'd rather. Be yeah, I'd rather, I'm. I'm like that too. I I can't be inside. I'm kind of an extrovert, and I'm also just. I'm kind of like I need the outdoors for whatever. Same. It gives me something. My dream life is like doing river rat stuff. Yeah. Like I just like get to be in a canoe with like six people around me, but also I'm outdoors. Yeah. 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 So I run six miles and. Ooh, okay. Three, Don't three, have to brag, Lane. <laughs> we get it. You run. Yeah, but like it, 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 it was. And it's just this old sort of like you know like just country that I grew up with, and I didn't really think much of it when I was growing up. I was like, it's kind of scrubland. I think it's ugly. <laughs> and uh, but then I we I hit this. I hit like the last leg of the run, and and suddenly like I looked to my my left, and there's just open pasture for miles mm -hmm. and there's you know a tree line in the very back and it's these beautiful like oak trees like live oaks mm -hmm. and it's just it's, it's it's just the the land opens up for miles you can see for miles and you don't see that a lot in louisiana no um and not in the way that 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 land was you can see for you can see for a long you can see for long stretches in Louisiana because it is flat. Mm -hmm. But the way that the oak trees and the pasture was sort of um, just kind of spread out, it was it was like really something. And that area of Louisiana is a lot different than a lot of the areas that you see in Louisiana. Like it, it's 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 a little bit hillier. There's more pine trees than than you know like um, than oaks, and it was just. I don't know. It was like kind of like a nuance to the the land yeah. that I didn't know sort of existed. But my mom, my mom saw it, you know, because yeah. she was my age when she moved us out there, mm -hmm. and she was like, "Oh, this is what Louisiana looks like." Yeah. She saw like the nuance in it. Like it's a wrinkle in the way that it looks. It's a wrinkle in the land, you know? Good words for an image. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she's like, this is the pretty part of Louisiana. This is the pretty part of the parish. We're moving out here because we're going to be here anyway. So yeah. we're going to live in the prettiest part. And she found it, and she moved us out there. And I didn't realize that when I was a teen. I was just like, I can't, I can't skate. This sucks. <laughs> Mom, no one comes but, here. Yeah, but like, I saw it. I saw what she saw. It took me like 20 years, but I finally saw what she saw. Do you feel more connected to her for that? Yeah, she's... Yeah. I feel like I feel a lot more connected to my dad now as an adult that appreciates nature. Yeah. I understand much more why he, like, wanted to take us out. And, like, why he wanted to, like, make sure we went kayaking and canoeing and yeah. hiking and, like... Because at the time, I'm like, you know, like a bratty eight-year-old, and I just, like, want to be in the air conditioning with my books. Yeah. I'm like, Mom, Jamie Jones is, like, not happening out here. Like, yeah. I have needs. Um, and the chips are in the camper. <laughs> I need but... some damn chips, Mom. <laughs> the Lay's. Yeah. But now as an adult, I, like, am able to appreciate it. So much more like what he saw and what he wanted us to see. And also, you know, as you as you get older and you become sort of, you know, you're yourself, you realize how similar you are to your parents. Right. Like how much you share with your parents, like in terms of values and the things that you mm -hmm. like. You know what I really get about my dad now that I didn't? What? How much he hates Disney World. 
Do you get that? Yo, I really get it. Um, I don't hate Disney World. I would never again pay money to go to Disney World. Right. Um, I have some lovely friends that work there, and if they want to give me a pass, like, call me everyone. Like, I would go. Yeah. But I'm, like, never going to pay money for Disney World again. It's hot, and there are children yelling, and it's, like, not all that cool. (laughs) Like, the coolest part is Epcot, where you can drink around the world. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Drunk podcast. And cheers to that. Cheers to that. (laughs) Okay, so... But I really get it. Like, growing up, you know, I'm, like, seven. I'm like, Disney World is awesome. Like, I'm going to go meet Mickey Mouse. My dad is like... God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, in every picture, he's just doing that smile where you don't show any teeth, you know? And you're just like... (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay, take the Christmas card photo right here. (laughs) So, I I think you could probably agree with this. Writing is about expressing your... um, beliefs and your thoughts and uh, your values i think nonfiction is mm-hmm. yeah i think nonfiction is on just i and, think and, and writing is in that regard like intricately tied to like where you're from and who you are and like who raised you and like all the things that like are kind of basic but like undeniable yeah i think mine is for sure i think um, mine is too I think that there are some very talented nonfiction writers that are maybe able to escape that. I don't know how. Yeah. I no, don't I'm know if I'll ever know how. Like, the things that... I always go right back to what raised me. Yeah. And for you, I mean, it was West Virginia and your, your you know, your pops who's, who loves the outdoors. Yeah, so my dad's a big part of a lot of stories. Maybe he's a bit of a curmudgeon. Maybe you guys have He's idea. quite a bit of a curmudgeon. He's like if Ron Swanson was a real person. Love it. He, like, has a wood shop in the back. He makes chairs. <laughs> I love it. Is he a woodworker? He's a woodworker. Hell yeah. yeah. Most, a lot of men in my family are. He's a woodworker. He, like, plays guitar. And he, like, works in ski patrol in the winters. They can, like, go up. And that's amazing. Isn't it cool as hell? Yeah. Now I'm like, that's cool as hell. As a teenager, I'm like, shut up, Dad. <laughs> like, right, right, I can't right. skate now here. <laughs> Correct. Um, I get him a lot more, though. Um, I think part of growing up is I realizing that your parents you, are people. I, 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 I don't mean to interrupt, but I, I, I really am curious. What pushed what, what push you to write? When did you start writing? Um, I have been writing most of my life. Um, I would say, honestly, like, it sounds like a joke, and it partially is, is that the initial push was in, like, third grade. A teacher told me I was really good at writing, mm-hmm. and I have, like, a one-track mind. So I was like, well, this is what I have to do the rest of my life. Um... And she wasn't wrong. How do you think that teacher would feel about your push card nomination? Ooh, I hope good. Yeah. Um, my fourth grade English teacher is also my parents' next door neighbor. So I will ask her when I get home and get back to you. So all of our listeners, Kirsten was nominated for a push card. What was the name of the, the, um, the piece that got nominated? It's called An Incredibly Brief and Unfinished History of Sound. Um, you were actually in the workshop. Or I the remember first workshop piece. It was it. amazing. Nobody um, else liked it but me. Don't front, don't front, don't front. There were a couple people who enjoyed it, but you were like, you were in my corner. There were also people that like really didn't like it. Um, And it really, it was my first workshop ever. It was my first workshop. Yeah. All of grad school. It was the first thing I had ever written specifically for a workshop. Like, I didn't come in with this piece. And you were right. right. 
Let's hope the push cart judges think so too. Well. Yeah, but you were really, it always feels good when you have a piece that is um, maybe more experimental. Mm. That someone's in your corner for it. Mm. You know, someone's like there in workshop being like, no, like, guys, at the end of the day, this is like good. Yeah. Like, don't forget, like, this is really cool. Yeah, we can What's criticize happening? it all we want. But just but like, you remember. Know everything <laughs> in it that you want to read if you randomly discovered it. And it feels good to have somebody like in your corner when you're doing something that's like kind of weird or different. I was doing a lot of like weird and different things yeah. when I was writing in that first semester, really. Um, and even now, I'm like interested in doing that. But yeah, you like really ride or died for me. And that's like a big that part of why I ended up submitting it is because at the end of the semester, I turned those three pieces and like people felt fine about them. And you were like, yo, you need to submit that whale thing. I'm still thinking about it. I still think about it. And I did. And here we are today. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. No, no pressure for my second published piece. <laughs> Very low stakes now. You are an amazing writer. <laughs> What's the journal that, that nominated you? Um, Hippocampus Magazine nominated so, me. Okay, so we have uh, a brief history of sound in Hippocampus Magazine. Yes. Um, right, everyone please read out. it. We'll include a link to it somewhere. I can do that, absolutely. Wow, absolutely the power of do. modern technology. Absolutely will do. Um, I wanted to get that in there. Um, Thanks. I love being recognized. <laughs> I mean, no, like, I'm, I've always been on your side with your writing. Um, you're, you have. You've been ride or die since day one. Absolutely. I think um, you were really glad to know that you actually liked my writing. Yeah. I think that's something that's scary in grad school when we're doing this kind of thing. You love your friends and then you're like, ah. You're like, oh, but I'm like, dull. It feels really <laughs> good to be like, oh, I actually like what they're doing. It's Thank totally, God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so we got that in there. We talked about all the things we wanted to talk about. Nice sliding. Mm -hmm. How do you want to end? Oh, Lace, don't ask me that question. Tell so, me about a weird monster in Louisiana. Do you know any weird cryptids? I don't, but I think that this apartment that we're having this podcast you is haunted. haunted. I yeah. also think it's haunted. Not what? just by Serafina, the cat. Why, why do you think it's haunted? I don't know, man. Every time I come in here, something weird happens. All right, so a woman died here. Whoop, there it is. So to all of our listeners, I live... Uh, this whole like, oh, neighborhood oh God, is oh kind this of is spooky. Be really funny. We're going to wrap up in just like five minutes, but like, I'm going to give them my address and then bleep it out. Oh, I love that. So <laughs> 10 architect place and it's uh, spooky down here yeah it's just it's first like, of all it's like two big warehouses right next to you i live very close to to mardi gras workshops and um, old bars and weird bodegas mm -hmm. and um there's a lot of history here and this really um, apartment where i live and have lived for a couple of years is um old slave quarters Ooh. Ooh. old slave quarters and also a woman, an old woman, um, the landlord's mother, she died in my bedroom. Yo! Yeah, and I, um, I know this sounds like, 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 I don't know what the word is, like, you know, creepy or, or whatever. Spoopy. Yeah, but, um, I, it, it, I don't even know how to describe it, but like, I feel a mother's presence looking at me that's extra creepy. while i sleep yeah and it's not scary Ooh. it's just there's an old woman that loves me looking at me oh do you think that is um how much <laughs> i'm like what part of that is projection because you need a mother's it's love all like... projection 
and I think <laughs> no, that's how you know hauntings it. work. Like, Ooh. I think that's how hauntings work. Do you it's think that like projection. what we're looking for, what we're afraid of, yes. is what haunts us? Yes. How poetic. That's what I think. Ooh. And I think New Orleans is haunted by projection. Ooh. Yes. Lape. That's my hot take. That is the opening line of the nonfiction piece you're writing next. What's the name of the... What's the opening line of your nonfiction piece? My next one? I'm going to write one about doing this podcast. And it'll start with a strong image. <laughs> it'll say... Lana Del Rey interviews crimes. Long, it'll start with a strong <laughs> image. Piece. It'll say, Late Seahan looks directly up as he begins to talk into the microphone. Period. The green chair is old and reminds me of the one my father would sit in as a child. <laughs> God damn it. I love you so much. You are an excellent, excellent. That You're was really not my good best work. That You're needs really workshops. Right. Uh, Kirsten, thanks for coming on. Thanks for doing a drunk podcast with me. Even though I think we pretty much like Cheers. landed that pretty sober. But uh, we were drunk, guys, and we had a blast. Hell yeah. And, um, Again, thank you for coming on. Thank you. Okay. I had a great time. Bye-bye. Taking over your mind space, blowing up the earbuds.